Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, this week's edition of MGR Unplugged. I don't know if anybody is going to notice the difference, but uh, we have a new lighting setup in the studio. Yes. Uh, we, we can see our wrinkles now, like over here. Maybe you can. I don't, I don't have wrinkles. Okay, yeah. Just wait a little bit. Now, anyways, we have new lighting. We are trying to improve the, uh, the set. Um, it's a little dark in the last couple episodes, so we had yeah we, we we had like natural light and natural light varies because the sun is up and down and everything else. Yeah. Today actually it's a cloudy day in Phoenix, but we have a uh, good lighting now. So we're gonna have set up the studio a little more, so it's a little more consistent from from week to week. So I think um, I think it looks better actually. Um, we'll see, we'll see. The crowd will tell, but um, I'm gonna have to use more makeup now. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, today we have um, a, a quick episode, I hope. Um, we're just going to go through a few of the highlights and uh, stories from the past week. Um, and uh, they cover a little bit of uh, investment information, companies that are being acquired, as well as, um, you know, obviously on the marketing side, we're going to discuss a few uh, Facebook news, uh, Google News, of course, and then uh, we'll probably end up with Apple and some of the issues that are affecting tracking of campaigns, especially for agencies like us that focus on um, a lot of uh, digital marketing. So uh, without further delay, uh, David, thanks for uh, joining me uh, this week again. What are we starting with? What do you want to start with? Let's go, let's go with the, um, with the um, startup growth um, companies that we're talking about that are... Okay. Kind of growing, but not growing the right way, I guess. Yeah. You know, uh, who would have thought that profits matter, that you can't just lose money forever? Yeah, I, I think investors sometimes just like to, uh, they, they play too much the uh, asymmetrical game or asymmetrical returns game, thinking, okay, I'm going to well, put money on, on a number of companies and then hopefully one of them will be hitting the jackpot and then we get rich. Well, that's that's the game you play, but that doesn't mean that... Like, of course, when you're investing in startups, it is uh, it is like that. There's no avoiding that because most startups fail. That's unavoidable. But especially once you get larger, like well, let's talk about Casper because they're the big one that came out this last week because they released their S1. Basically, they're going to go public. Um, and so they had to start releasing some S1 of their numbers. S1 is uh, the, it's the pre-IPO, pre-IPO document. Uh, stage. Um <clears throat> And basically, they spend, I, th- I forget, it's something like they spend $800 to make $700, basically. So for every... S- I add a few zeros to that. But so so they, they, they spend, to sell, a or to sell a $700 mattress, they spend $800. And they have a lot of bloat. They have a lot of, if you look at the breakdown, the biggest thing is that their GNA, general administration, was like 35% of their revenue, which is mm-hmm. crazy. And then their marketing was high. It wasn't, uh, for this type of company, you kind of expect that, but their marketing was also 35% of their revenue. And the other thing that, um, in, in that particular case, if it were me as an investor, uh, I look at the um, cyclical side of the business. Yeah. And uh, the problem with, with mattresses, as we all know, is that we don't buy a mattress every week or every month or even every year. So it's almost like buying a car. You buy one, and then hopefully if the, you like the car, maybe in a few years, even longer years now, because the cars last a long time, then you buy another one. So it's not something you can expect to, yeah, to but have at least like cars, lifetime value. Cars, mm-hmm. people will buy when they don't need one just for the show or because they really want a car. And you have a lot of maintenance in between that hopefully you go back to a dealer, they sell you yeah. all these warranties, upgrades, and so Mattresses forth. Mattresses are like 
I don't think people it's, care It's not about a sexy mattresses. thing. I mean, you, you buy a mattress and then, and then once you have the mattress, it's like you have it for like whatever number of years. So yeah. people don't remember to change the mattress until they have like severe back pain and say, maybe it's the mattress and then they buy another and, one. And they started advertising, or I'm not started advertising, uh, <clears> selling <throat> other products like pillows and stuff. But really, uh, it's a tough space. And especially when you have to acquire so many users. And this gets into, because we're going to talk about uh, Barstool Sports a little later um, and some rumors about them, where we talked about last episode about building audiences around DTC so that you do not have to acquire every customer as you grow. And Casper is kind of the ultimate example of a company who just has to spend $800 every time they want to sell a mattress, mm -hmm. you know, and that's obviously you just can't be profitable doing that. Right. And, and when you run out of money, what you do is try to go public, which is basically try to raise money. And um, usually that doesn't work very well, as we know from Uber, who basically did that. And they're still losing money, about a billion dollars with a B per quarter, which is no small change. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like a lot of uh, uh, of these non-profitable companies are kind of hitting uh, trouble all at once. Like, obviously, we had WeWork, which there's not much to say. Everybody's talked about WeWork by now. They had to lay off a ton of people. Uber had to do layoffs this week. Also, uh, Zoom Pizza, a company that raised, like, I think it was $375 million, had to lay off about half of their workforce. Um, and then, obviously, Casper hasn't had layoffs, but now they're trying to go public to raise more money. And, and we they're talking, not going to raise much. Remember, yesterday we were talking about all these uh, food delivery companies, too, that are also mm -hmm. losing, like DoorDash, Uber Eats, all these companies. Not only do they have a lot of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, bad publicity with reports coming out that, amazingly, a, a high percentage of drivers actually are picking on the food they are delivering before <laughs> delivering it's to really the customers, gross. which is really That's gross so to know gross. that uh, you order something with fries and maybe the driver had already three, four fries or whatever, or pepperoni pieces. Well, but regardless of whether they do that or not, just on the business model, you know, I was telling you, I was like, I mean, I'm sure everybody gets these. It's like every day I get like, oh, here's a $100 coupon for Postmates or right, right. $50 for Door. Like they just want to get you on their platform. Right. And it's like, <clears throat> how do they make money? You, obviously, they don't. They don't is the answer. But, you know, you always have to ask. Obviously, every startup, when you're a high growth startup, you don't make money in the beginning. That's understood. But it's this path to profitability. And more and more we are seeing companies not have a very clear path to profitability. And yeah, they're growing and they're doing billions in revenue, but they're not making money. Right. And eventually that comes down because that means that they're just living off of investor money. But eventually the investor money will dry up mm -hmm. and you need to be profitable. Uh, I would not be surprised if we start seeing a ton of down rounds these next couple of years the from companies who are valued at this much and now they have to go back to the challenging thing is that life. as we know the economy has been growing for the last 10 years without any pullback recession whatever you want to call it and if companies are actually having struggles now with this economy imagine when things start getting a little tighter when there's a a pullback a correction well or any type of uh, stock market this gets into broader uh uh global economics but i think you know, when you cut them down to it, one of the biggest factors here is interest rates are so low. Mm -hmm. So cash is basically free these days. You, right. It's never been easier to get access to capital than it is right now. Right. And it, on top of that, because 
there's such a, a thirst for yield for all of these investors. And VC particularly is a very kind of sexy uh, investment. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to say, oh, I invested in Uber. Oh, I invested in this company when they were worth right. 10 or million. I have and now these they're portfolio worth, startup companies yeah. that I invested in. It's very sexy, but it's also very hard. Okay, mm -hmm. and most of them fail and fail spectacularly. That's kind of the game you play. Um, but because there's been so much money going into that, uh, I don't know that there's necessarily enough new great companies that are being founded for all that money. So you end up getting a lot of crappy companies getting right. money. And um, but but the Casper especially because we work in Uber and those have been talked about to death. But the Casper is the new one, and Casper will not be the only one. Okay, there's Casper, but there's lots of other D two C companies that are just burning cash very quickly to grow, but they don't have a path to profitability. That's right. the big difference. But I think I think because of what's happened with like latest major IPOs like Uber and um, WeWork actually never even happened. But I think investors are becoming a little more uh, hesitant now when, when it comes to IPOs, especially valuation, the initial valuation. As we know, WeWork was a great example. That was like, I forgot if it was valued like at 70. What was the initial valuation for? Um, uh, it was like 60, I think. Yeah, 60. Then it was cut to 35, then 18. And then finally decided, okay, we're going to cancel the IPO. But with these companies, Casper, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, I, I think there's going to be a yeah, little reality check when you go there. If you're an institutional investor, and Casper wants you to cut them a check for 50 million. You have to say, okay, but where's that money going? You guys did 300, I think it was around 350 million in revenue, somewhere around there. And they lost uh, like 30 million. Right. But not only that, they have like no, no clear path to profitability at all. Mm -hmm. And they're going to have to do layoffs. I mean, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Their GNA is 35% of their revenue. That's insane. Right. That's insane. And, and then you have other companies that are doing the DTC route, like we mentioned last week. Well, they are We're DTC, like but they've even... The, the troubling thing for them is that a lot of DTC companies, as they grow, start getting into retail, having their own stores. Mm -hmm. Casper's done all that stuff, and they're still not making money. Right. You know, I think... I. I don't know. I just think that the problem is, and there was a, a piece that I read about them that they've actually had multiple acquisition offers, and they in the past, and they turned them all down because the founders were obsessed with getting to build a billion-dollar revenue company. Right. And now they're there at three hundred something million revenue, about a third of the way there, which is very admirable. It's very hard to do that, but now they're at a point where it's like, oh, we're only a third of the way there. And we're probably going to have to cut back. Like mm. our revenues are going to shrink because we're going to have to cut our marketing expenses, okay. cut our GNA. Uh, it's just, you know, like I said, it's like, yeah, profitability matters. Yeah, yeah. You can only be unprofitable for so long. And when you choose to lose money, it has to be very strategically because you're either trying to uh, gain complete market share like Uber. Okay, Uber, the reason they lose money is because they say, we want to own the market. Uh, but Casper does not own the market. There's tons of other mattress right, companies. Right. And there's nothing proprietary that they have about a mattress. Yeah. You know, it's just a it's just a mattress. That's all it is. Yeah. All right, so you mentioned before uh, Barstool Sports. I'm really not very familiar with that company myself. Um, I, 
I thought they had like a podcast or something or some kind of programming, but I'm not exactly oh, sure. Oh, they're a huge media company. Right. Before, as, far as, uh, as far as gaming and things like that, right? Or, or gambling or they don't sports do gaming. betting or anything like that. Gaming or, as far as video games? No, no. Like, um, like, like uh, online. Uh, yeah, so they do a lot of things. Obviously, it's Barstool Sports, so they do a ton of sports content. Um, but in the last couple of years, they've been really smart in that they've been – dominant and the number one as far as gambling and betting sports betting uh content okay because especially with the new law that got passed by the uh uh supreme court that basically said okay people can bet on sports now mm -hmm. um they've been number one on that they, they've got a huge audience that's really into sports betting they do lots of other things but the reason i mentioned the sports betting part is because there's rumors that um i forget the name of the exact uh company but it's basically a major uh gambling company that owns many casinos and online gambling sites is looking to buy them why are they looking to buy them? Because they understand exactly the issue that Casper is having, that Casper buys all of their customers, okay? Mm -hmm. And if they can buy this media company that has millions of viewers and millions of so bettors. how does that work do they have like a subscription service that you uh, are betting or you just sign up and for just go to like the casinos no 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 with a bar stool right now bar stool doesn't operate doesn't like you don't bet with barstool mm -hmm. um they're just a media company so they right. just say oh uh yankees red sox tonight this is the line this is our bet. okay blah, so blah, they blah. give you the information but that you don't actually yeah they do lots of content lots right. of comedy uh, anybody listening just search barstool if you don't know mm -hmm. what it is you'll find it um it's huge in the uh I don't know, probably 18 to 30 crowd leaning towards men. They have much more female content now, but it's still predominantly men. Mm -hmm. uh, but in that crowd, they're they're huge, huge. I mean, I even see these days like barstool bumper stickers and stuff on right, them out. Right. And yeah, I know I, I've heard of them, but I didn't, I never actually went to their site myself to see what they. Yeah, do. they're they have uh, much tons of huge either, so. podcasts. They have a huge YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Their website is. I mean, they do a great job. Um, they 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 sold the majority stake of the company last year to the Churning Group, which uh, is a major uh, private equity company that actually they're one of all the private equity companies. I think they're one of the smartest because they are. Are acquiring a bunch of media time media x commerce companies that that use media to sell so is, is uh barstool privately owned right now yeah uh, so it's owned by the churning group or majority owned by the churning group um and now the churning group is in talks with this company to right. sell it and then mm -hmm. basically um but it could be let's put it this way churning I think it was a hundred million last year uh, put in, or or that was the valuation when they bought a majority stake. And there's rumors that a year later, this is like this happened one year later, uh, that they could sell for hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's what happens when you don't pay to acquire all of your customers. Barstool is a great example of a company who uses audience to drive revenue. You know, they don't, they have sponsorships and ads too, but the majority of their revenue in the future will come through commerce, not through ads. Mm -hmm. what, what kind of stuff, um, products do they sell or what do you see? Uh, they sell all right types of stuff, mostly merchandise. Stuff and yeah, mostly merchandise as far as like clothing, hats. They have a lot of different, um, lines that they have a lot of different brands that they've created like saturdays are for the boys i don't know if you've ever heard of that yeah. but that's like a big one for like frat bros and they mm -hmm. started that um they they have a new vodka or is it vodka it's some type of alcohol drink um that's called pink whitney 
with a guy named Whitney who's mm-hmm. an ex-hockey player who right. has a show with them. So they have all types of stuff. Alcohol. They even have a show. Funny. Uh, it's funny. It's actually decent. I watched a couple episodes of it that's called um, Barstool Big Brain. And it's basically <laughs> like a shark tank for yeah. Barstool. And it's companies that come in and pitch their products of why Barstool should pick them up and sell them on their site and uh, try to distribute them and basically put the Barstool media brand behind those products. And obviously Barstool. Who are the uh, major uh, personalities behind Barstool as far as anchors, hosts, things like that? Personal. I mean, I don't know all their names. There's uh, the guy who started Dave Portnoy. Right. He's the most famous probably. Um, There's, Any athletes, uh, famous like sports people? Uh, yeah, Pat McAfee, um, hockey. I'm not a big hockey guy, so I don't know all the hockey players, but they have hockey players. Okay. Um, they have, uh, I forget the name of the podcast, but it's um, a women's podcast, and it's one of the top podcasts in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it called? It's it's like something. Oh, yeah, Call Her Daddy. Have you ever heard of that? Call no. Her Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it's called. Call her daddy. Yeah, it's a young women's podcast. But oh my god, every girl twenty to twenty five listens to that podcast. So they're pretty diversified, and they actually hired a new CEO. Her name is uh, Erica Nardini, and uh, she's a woman. And she basically started expanding their female content because before it was just men. Right. Um, and they're doing a great job. They're growing really fast. They're very polarizing too. They're not afraid to be offensive. Mm-hmm. But um, they really, they have their, they're not trying to appeal to everybody. They have their audience and they do a great job. And hey, they built a company okay. that is going to sell for hundreds of millions of dollars. So Speaking of uh, big audiences, we're going to shift gears completely and go to um, Facebook, who um, mm. is somehow they managed to be always in the news. And this time it's actually good news or marketing news, not, not controversial. Well, good news for them. I don't know about good news for other people. Well, but at least it's on the marketing side. It's not a controversial thing about, even though they're back in the news uh, with a new campaign, uh, political campaigns and manipulation and things like that. But anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll stick to marketing now. And it looks like um, we were also talking about the um, new uh, e-commerce platform that they're trying to set up to sell directly to consumers. Uh, basically, it's kind of... It's rumored. off Shopify or, or anything like that or WooCommerce or any of these applications. Let's just say it's rumored. There's no official Facebook statement, but it's been there's been conversations that Zuckerberg has had where he's kind of mentioned this, uh, and there's lots of kind of whispers saying, "Oh, Facebook is going to create their own like storefronts, basically, to compete directly with Shopify and every other." Uh, platform because mm-hmm. they want basically people to never even leave Facebook and Instagram and just buy directly through them. Uh, and obviously they get a cut and you know, the, the advantages uh, there's rumors that like, okay, if you advertise to your storefront on Facebook and Instagram, Uh, your CPMs are this. If you send people out, yeah, it's <clears throat> double the ad rate. They have one click purchase, so just like Amazon has. Mm-hmm. So well, you don't even need to check out. But you let me ask you, by. if um, you, you were talking about Shopify, which is also not a very e-commerce uh, major platform, but uh, what about Amazon? I mean, will people go to Facebook To buy, well, I mean, will they compete with Amazon or they compete with everybody? Right, but Amazon is their own marketplace, so yeah. I mean, Amazon's not going anywhere, but they're competing. I mean, with Facebook them. has its own marketplace for used things, kind of like a Craigslist type. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but is that's that different? Right, right. I know it's different, but uh, is that something that obviously it's just this is just uh, peer-to-peer selling and things like that? But when if, if Facebook no, no, no. This is this, like 
Right. Just, just like you make an Amazon store, you right. make a Facebook store, basically. Right. Okay. So, but, the, but do they have their own distribution, uh, warehouse? I don't know about like the that. logistics part. Okay. But basically, um, it makes. There's two sides of this. It makes perfect sense if I was on the Facebook strategy team. Makes perfect sense. A hundred percent, the right move. Now, for the for our side which is we advise lots of D2C companies. Their question is, do you create a Facebook, Instagram storefront? Maybe. I don't know. Um, uh, I'm afraid, this is the thing. I deal with Facebook all day long. I deal with Amazon all day long. I know what happens. I've seen it happen firsthand when you give them more and more control. Right. Because they just don't care about you. I mean, anybody who runs Facebook ads, I'm sure has had trouble with ads getting approved, denied, accounts disabled. It happens all the or time. Or even, not even but on the ad side, also on the product listing. Everything. They, everything they that has to products, do... mismanaged products. They, anything they that has lose. to do with Facebook ads manager, <clears throat> there's issues all the time. So imagine if instead of your ads manager not working properly, imagine if your entire store is just down or gets disabled for some random reason and all of a sudden your entire revenue source is gone. Mm-hmm. That's why I would no, I, not not rely on I, them. I never I mean I'm I'm okay with I mean obviously Facebook, I mean Jesus, I mean this guy's tried to control everything and they already have all the information about everybody that they want to as far as everything. I mean they have a huge amount of consum- consumer and customer data or basically people. Uh, people's data. So it always al- always makes sense for them to just say, okay, well, now we don't know everything about people, but we also want to know what they buy, which is what Amazon does right now. But I mean, <clears> they <throat> kind of already know what people buy because they, they have uh, pictures to a certain on extent, But I would never, I mean, all these things are fine. They're different channels. I mean, I can be on Amazon. I can be on eBay. I can be on all these other channels on third parties and advertise on Google and all that stuff. But that will never, ever replace my own control of my own brand, my own store. At the end of the day, you can be on all these channels, and like you said, you're at the mercy of them, increasing seller fees, uh, losing your products, banning or or suspending your account, or whatever, you know, and you put all your eggs in one basket. This happened before. I mean, I, I know a lot of people back in the beginning of advertising when they have Google AdSense, including, I think, one of my accounts was suspended too. I had a very, very, very small account with Google AdSense where I was just in my little websites for racing and things like that. I have these ads and all of a sudden they banned my account. And I still today don't know even why because I was just basically putting third party ads and all that stuff. And I guess, I don't know exactly. I think I think it was YouTube that I was putting videos and then I was trying to monetize another, I, I have no idea. But anyways, they, they banned it and they never explained it to you because they say that if they explain it to you, then you can play the system or gain the system and try to beat the tricks or whatever. So the bottom line is that Use these channels as channels, but don't ever have them replace your own sales source, your own controlled e-commerce platform, which is whatever you have. Well, you know, I I see there's kind of two. I feel like we're at a, a fork in the road when it comes to uh, commerce, especially e-commerce, and that is one direction. One path is the path of that that Facebook and Amazon and Google want where basically they just own everything. And so you have your Facebook and Amazon storefronts and you buy your Facebook ads to promote your storefront Mm -hmm. and your Google search ads and you buy Amazon and they own everything. So if you want an e-commerce company, you better give them 20 cents on the dollar or you're screwed. There's the other path that I prefer and that I think 
is certainly possible. And it's what I call distributed commerce, where actually, uh, and I actually, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me. I tweeted about this the other day. I made a thread about as powerful as Amazon is and Facebook are, why they actually may be much less dominant over the next decade. Um, because I, I'll give a quick brief. And it's, it's basically that you have to look at Amazon, for example. What are their advantages that they have um, that they're so powerful? Uh, one used to be their tech stack. So they made it really easy to create a store on Amazon. Now that's totally worthless. Everybody can make a store anywhere. You don't need Amazon. Okay, so that's gone. That's one advantage. Number two, they have fantastic logistics. They have, of as far as... 3PLs go, third-party logistics. Amazon FBA is the best by far because they have a million billion mm -hmm. warehouses. Okay, but there's a lot of 3PLs out there now. They're getting a ton of fundraising. We talk about VCs. That's very commoditized. You know, it's who can ship the fastest. Right, right. So that over the next decade will be commoditized. Okay, so that advantage is gone. Uh, what else do they have? The customer experience. Well, they don't actually have much of a great customer experience as far as the uh, branding approach, right? Everything is uniform, looks the same. So all of these advantages are diminishing. And my they point are. is... I mean, everybody's catching up. I mean, that's what happens. And, and my point is that as dominant as Facebook and Amazon, all these companies look, uh, there is a path and there is 100% strategies and ways to win without them and to uh, basically well, take advantage of them for yourself. Yes. So using Amazon as a customer acquisition channel for your first purchase right, right. and then funneling them to your site. Using Facebook ads to not buy uh basically customers but to buy an audience and you take that co that audience away from but Facebook. that's the thing that we were discussing last week about dtc companies that you obviously when you put your purchases or your products into amazon you never own the customer they're actually making it much more difficult not to even see any information about the customer so you're basically putting the money there you don't know who you own or anything i actually it's funny because the other day i did order something on amazon that required uh, customization, kind of like a thing that you order and then you say, okay, yeah. you need to customize it and then they'll send it to you directly. Yeah. And when I did that, like, I don't know, like two minutes later, I received an email directly from the seller because I just customized my order to tell me, hey, do you want it this way or that way? So I don't know if that's like, kind of like a little loophole that could be worked out. No, you can do that. No right, problem. right, exactly. No, no, I understand. But I'm saying if I wanted to own the customer, why don't I just list a product that requires some kind of customization in the order that says, okay, before you complete your order, you need to customize it. And then say, I want it this side or this size or whatever. And then that allows you to own the customer even though you're going through Amazon. Amazon will be doing all the fulfillment, the delivery and all that stuff. Yeah, but... So you anyways... Can, you, I mean, have to, you can only do that if, if it's a product that needs to be customized. In, the, in, the, in my particular case, I was ordering a print or actually a, a, a frame. And well, because that I had makes to, sense then. Right, right. But if you're buying something that, uh, uh, not if you're buying a mouse, what is there to customize? Well, I, mean. I know, I know. Not everything is customizable. In this case, I was ordering a frame and I had to select the size and upload a picture and other stuff. And then they sent me some no, offer. But in this case, in that case, the, the seller actually had my information right away. In fact, they sent me a couple of emails with special offers that I can go directly to them now and buy for a discount. So 
Um, no, there's strategy. I'll give you an example. Okay, I'll give you one that we have been doing, we started doing for some of our clients. And that's basically, so Amazon has a new program called Amazon Attribution. Um, Which is not available for everybody. It's available for registered brands. So if you're not a registered brand, you basically, if you don't have your trademark, go get a trademark. But if you have a trademark, you can get it. Um, so it basically means that uh, you can have, it's, it's very similar to how Google does their attribution. You have custom mm -hmm. links. Um, but basically, a strategy that we've been doing is running third-party ads on Facebook um, and Instagram to Amazon using the attribution, acquiring, because the, the big thing that Amazon has versus an e-commerce site is, you know, a, a lot of our clients, they get 15, 20% conversion rates on Amazon. Mm -hmm. That's insane. You'll never get that on your right. website. That's about 10 times the average, by And the way. people, I wouldn't say 10. Yeah, I normally you, you get more get, than 2-3% like for any normal campaign, if that. Uh, it depends. If you're really good, you can get four or five. But anyways, besides the point, 15, 20, you'll never get on your site. Um, and people already have Amazon Prime. They know Amazon. There's no trust factor needed. Mm -hmm. um, so all, all of those things. Um, so you, we basically run ads with the Amazon attribution to Amazon. People buy, and then we get that. Then what we do is we take all the people who bought on Amazon the first time, we create a separate Facebook audience with that, and then we start serving them tons of different ads, um, trying to get them to go to our site instead of right. going to Amazon. Right, right. And so basically, and then you do methods to collect emails. There's all types of things you can right. do. Right, no, collect there's, emails, there's a lot of little create strategies. separate audiences. But that's an example of how you can't avoid Amazon, but use Amazon to your advantage. Let them basically get the first purchase and it depends on your product like this probably wouldn't work for casper who sells one product right. but you have multiple product lines or something that people need to keep buying like a food product or something use amazon to acquire the customers the first time take that group yeah it's the same funnel thing. them right and then send them to your site yeah it's the and same, that's that's the same, strategy that works. same technique that we use for for our hospitality clients when i say okay don't be afraid of the online travel agency so we're going to get into that later too but use the OTAs as as your you know lead generation, and then once you get the customer, make sure you win him back once they get to your hotel. Yeah, the first time you're gonna pay up to thirty percent fees to the online travel agency for the booking and all that stuff. You're gonna make little money, but then that customer ultimately is coming to your property. So then you you have a chance to own them, and then next time they come, they book directly. So it's similar to that. I yeah. mean, it's it's basically the basically, way it works. What I see the twenty twenties, the twenty tens was won by the people who were really good and masters at uh, Facebook marketing, Amazon mark, all of these things, at mastering those platforms. I think the 2020s will be the, the companies that win are the ones who rely the least on Facebook and Amazon and Google. And oh, yeah. win that's, without them. That's, no, that's and, what I see. And that's what we talked last week that are companies that are staying away from Amazon now. Like there's major brands that are, I think I, well, obviously we discussed Nike, but there's other brands yeah, that are Ikea now saying. Yeah, Ikea did it. Ikea um, did it too. Ikea but, said, we, we're following a different strategy. Oh, cool. The strategy means we're going to sell ourselves and find different channels so we can sell directly to a consumer. But here's another example. Ikea and Nike are huge brands, so they have their own poll. You, I'm sure people are saying, okay, Nike can do that. I can't. PopSockets, which is a right. smaller, much smaller company. Obviously, they're, they're well-known. PopSockets, if you don't know, it's those little things on the back of phones mm -hmm. that people use to like hold them. Um, and they pulled all their stuff from Amazon, too. That's a much smaller brand. That's a much bigger risk. But they did that strategically because they mm -hmm. said, you know what? We don't need Amazon. We can pull people ourselves. We have a great product, a great brand. People know the name. And, and uh, the other thing is that you can sell less, obviously, but you have a higher margin. 
in the long run, but that's actually even, what you want. You don't even have to sell less. That's the thing. There's right. this idea that, well, oh, if I pull from Amazon in the beginning, yes. If you're if Amazon is a third of your revenues and then you pull it, obviously it's going right. to have but an impact. But when you compare that the average person may make like maybe 10% at the end of all the expenses, and that's not including marketing campaigns or anything else, but uh, if you make a 10%, 5% profit, sell on Amazon, and then you make like 30% profit selling on your own, that means that you have a six to one ratio right there. Okay. Listen, that's huge. That's I huge. tell people, if you don't want to deal with Amazon, use Amazon to your advantage. So using those campaigns, because what you also do is obviously the biggest factor that goes into ranking organically on Amazon is how much you sell. It's mm -hmm. the number one thing. There's other factors, but how much you sell is the number one thing. So if you can drive a lot of traffic to your listings and sell, then you can rank organically for those keywords. So then you're ranking organically. So you don't have to acquire all these customers. When people search for something in your your product, right. uh, you're first. You're acquiring those customers for free from Amazon, from Amazon's real estate, right. putting them in your funnel to uh, buy from your site directly. And now you're getting a massive customer acquisition channel that's costing you much less than through Facebook ads exactly. or Amazon ads. Exactly. Those are strategies that I mean when I say, you can win without these guys. And not only that, you can take advantage of them. And the other thing, I mean, not all channels are going to be working the same. You mentioned different types of companies. Some companies will work better with Amazon and then plus Facebook or just directly to their site. Some other companies will probably prefer to go the Google route with more branding and more search traditional ads and then going to Amazon. You know, obviously, there's no one size fits all. You need to see which kind of company you have, and then what avenue or what channels or what channel combination is the best for for your particular company based on on your um, demographics and the type of product that you're selling. Obviously, um, I wanted to um, keep moving forward, and then um, the next topic that I wanted to discuss or talk about is uh, Google. Speaking of bigger companies, speaking of big companies yeah. using their power, yeah. No, actually, this is actually uh, uh, Google. Um, I don't know how many people are familiar with Google as a travel agency or pseudo travel agency. We we call them in our in our podcast. I mean, in our industry, basically, Google when it comes to travel is more what we call a meta search engine. A meta search means a search engine of search engines. So, yeah. uh, in other words, when when people go to Google, let's let's say that we are planning that our next trip and we're going to San Diego or something, and then you look on Google hotels in San Diego, you're gonna see prime real estate right in the beginning with Google's actually search tool, which is their uh, application or their travel application. And then below that, you see all the paid ads from mostly online travel agencies, the booking, uh, booking.com, booking is the parent company, uh, hotels.com, experience and so forth. And then if you're lucky, you may see two or three organic results from actual hotels that are, um, you know, listed in San Diego or something. But the main thing is that Google started um, uh, years ago. They started with uh, Google Flights, basically with Slash Flights, where you could book your flight and then they'll find from all the pool of airlines, you say, I'm going from here to there, round trip, whatever. They'll find all the airlines and give you all the flight information. Then they started with Google Hotels, which was similar. And then they started doing the same thing with hotels by pulling information from all the databases from the different, um, not just the online travel agencies, but also the uh, actual hotels, uh, databases, booking engines. Um, then it became Google Travel, and then they started combining all those into a single application. So just last month, actually, and this is whenever you listen to this, I'm referring to January 2020, uh, they launched a new uh, version of Google Travel. You can go to google.com slash travel. And now they tell you also, 
the best time to travel to a particular destination. So if you say, I'm going to Hawaii, uh, they're going to tell you, okay, this is the peak season in Hawaii. This is the best time to travel. This is when the prices are highest and lowest. Um, then they, in conjunction with Google Maps, which is the core of the functionality, they tell you um, where you're going, what kind of hotels you can find, um, what kind of attractions are near the hotel, what prices you have. I mean, basically, you have all the information there. The difference between this and the traditional online travel agency, obviously, is the fact that Google will send people to um, book elsewhere. Google basically gets a commission depending on where they send you. Mm -hmm. But they don't act as an online travel agency. Again, they act as a meta search engine, meaning that they are listing all the potential prices and what are the best and the worst, and then you book elsewhere. They don't, they don't own the customer, basically. So... The losers in this case are more the online travel agencies than the actual hotels because the online travel agency is going to find that a customer is coming from somewhere else and then they may end up booking directly in the hotel. The hotels now have the ability to say, hey, we have more control now. We're going to put more money into this because, yeah, we're going to spend the money on advertising our hotel and promoting it, but then ultimately the customer is coming to us and we own the customer, we can book, and then we can do everything else. We can, they can book direct, which is the big campaign. The, the online travel agencies now are losing that direct traffic, and they themselves are also paying Google to be advertising. The other real winner, in my eyes, is TripAdvisor, because the, what's the difference between TripAdvisor and like Expedia? And Tri TripAdvisor is also a meta search engine. Yes, but what is the advantage that they have? Is that they have an audience they have tons of content on their yes. site and they're almost like uh wikipedia for hotels and and travel and so they have a huge poll that they don't they obviously spend a lot on ads don't get me wrong but they don't need to only rely on that whereas expedia right. just gets their people through search ads basically. expedia is basically uh the traditional online travel agency just like it's booking.com and so forth so the the diff the, the challenge is that people are they, they, they've been saying forever that Google will basically just put the online travel agencies out of business. Yeah. If but you're, if your entire business relies on Google, yes. you're in trouble. But, you cannot put yourself in that position. But the thing is that the, the tricky thing is that Google's, the online travel agencies are right now spending billions of dollars. Expedia spends, I think, about a $6 billion budget in advertising on Google. So obviously Google has to play this very carefully because they don't want to say, oh, Expedia, we're going to put you out of business. People are going to book and then we're going to send people elsewhere because they also rely on that revenue from the online travel agency. So Google keeps saying that they are, yeah. that's not their intent, that they just basically want to create a more even playing field. So the, the guest or the traveler or the user of Google is ultimately the winner where they're going to find all the real information, no matter where it comes from. And they, Google is like the, um, the filter that selects, okay, you're trying to go to San Diego. We're going to select what are the best options for you. And they act like the selector and the filter saying, okay, this is your best options. But the main thing with the travel right now is that uh, oh, with all your trips, which is the improved application right now, is that if you are logged into your Gmail account or your Google account, then they can put together all your history. You can actually opt out of that. But the main thing is that Google can, can now keep together all the data from you as a traveler and saying, okay, yeah, you like this thing, you like this kind of destination, you shop at these places, and then they will select what they show you based on your particular history, as opposed to just randomly saying, 
this is everything, you know. So some people say that, but that might be a little intrusive and creepy, like saying, oh, you know that I was looking for San Diego or this or that. Or some people may say, no, that's actually convenient. This is basically making my search instead of spending three hours and multiple visits to multiple websites, I'm just going to go now and Google has basically cleaned up all the garbage for me and I'm just going to go to maybe uh, six different selections, you know. So, uh, I mean, that's, that's actually important and we'll see how it ships up, but it just started. And um, and uh, the moment Google announced that uh, online travel agencies stocks started going down, and then um, they're in trouble. I mean, online travel agencies are not the their only business model is based on advertising. Well, let me tell you, if Google, I understand that they make a ton of money through these companies advertising with them, but if Google says, hmm. Okay, yeah, we're going to lose that revenue, but we're going to make way more because now we're going to get a commission on every damn hotel booking in the world. They'll do it. They well, don't care. Yeah, it's, they're going to do a they're going to do an analysis and say which route makes us more money, and if the route that screws over Expedia and booking and all these companies, they'll do well, it. Well, all you have to see is, is even even if I pay for an ad, if I'm whether I'm a hotel or I'm on an online travel agency and I pay for an ad, yeah. You will see that no matter how much you pay, no matter how much you bid, right now you say hotels in fill in the blank, any city, the top section of the prime real estate on your webpage is going to be Google, Google search tool, where it's going to list you all the hotels and then you click there and you're going to see the listing of all the rates so you can compare. And then if you pay meta search, then you're going to be listed on the top. It's not you at the bottom, but that's the, the, Let's put the game they're playing. Let's put it this way. Expedia knows that, okay, let's say for a booking that costs for e for easy numbers. Okay, this booking is $100. We're going to get 25 of that so we can spend 15 to get this booking. Google says, I always say that 15 goes to Google. But Google says, hmm, right now we're getting 15. If we just cut Expedia and took the commission ourselves, we'd be making 25. Okay, Expedia, thank you very much. I know you spend billions with us, but we're just going to take the commissions ourselves. Bye. Yeah, exactly. That's where I'm saying that... I think the winner actually is the hotel, the hotels themselves. I think it's both. I think well, it's, I think well it's Google, yeah, Google is always going to win. Obviously, they don't do it to lose. But I think the winner in this case is if hotels are smart and they start specifically independent hotels, the bigger brands, the Marriotts and the Hiltons and the, all these other brands, they still have a major advertising power and, and obviously with their own websites as well. But uh, the independent hotel now has a better advantage of being able to be listed and then if they know how to attract a customer and make the booking experience seamless, that's the key part. Because what happens is that when people go to the hotels, then the hotels spend a little marketing on this and that, and their website usually is like way, way below par. They're like basically three generations behind as far as bookings and booking engine and the, and the, and the seamless process or the frictionless process of completing the booking. And then at the end, the guest gets all confused and says, okay, well, this is not the rate that I saw. I don't know exactly what I'm getting or this or that or whatever, or it's not even more friendly. The, and then they book with another online travel agency or-, or, or The advantage option. that OTAs have is that versus what a hotel could not do is that with an OTA, you know, they can bundle things so you can get your hotel, your flight, rent a car, do all those things in one place. So that's Google. That's what I was getting to. That's the advantage that they have versus like just buying, booking directly with a hotel. But Google now, if they have Google hotels and Google flights, and then they add Google rental car. Not only that, Google is also adding now vacation rentals, which is kind of like a pseudo Airbnb, which mm -hmm. we haven't even mentioned that. Because also on top of this, to add another caveat to this 
situation, you have Airbnb who started with peer-to-peer -peer rentals, and now they also added luxury rentals, and now they're also adding um, experiences and everything else. And they purchased Hotel Tonight, which is like a last-minute reservations engine for hotels. So Airbnb is also allowing boutique hotels to list their rooms if they want to be listed there. They have to be unique and blah, blah, blah. They don't allow big chains, but any independent hotel can do it. Then you can have luxury rentals, and now you also have uh, basically all the experiences and, and everything else. So the the hospitality, the online booking uh, world is evolving rapidly. Yeah, it, it's and basically what happens when companies get really big, like Airbnb, and obviously Google's massive, and then they need to keep continue growing and they need to keep gaining market share somehow so or maybe they've maximized the market share in this area but now they say okay well we still need to keep growing our revenue so oh hotels we can get into that and then airbnb the other way is saying we're maximizing we own the world's uh you know home rental vacation thing you know home sharing whatever you want to call it they pretty much dominate that market there's some smaller competitors but now they say well how about we start encroaching on the hotel market which is huge too because that's even bigger than our whole company mm -hmm. is that's what happens you know all these companies and, and that's why it's, we, we talk about owning your customer what is the common denominator of everything that we've been talking about for the last starting off 45 minutes is yeah. basically the importance of owning your customer data why is google able to do all these things right because they own Right. billions of customers. They're basically owning the customer. They know that you are talking on Gmail about this. You go on Google Maps and are searching for this location and you go on Google search and search for these hotels or something. You're on they YouTube know exactly, watching videos. About, exactly. Yeah. What to do in San Diego, whatever. They know exactly what you want. And then they're putting what is going to be the highest percentage chance of you booking that uh, hotel or that destination or renting the car or flying to this place. So, they owe, they know everything about you, just like Facebook does, just like everything else. So the key part is like when you have these major companies that are knowing everything about you, whether it's the Googles, the Facebooks, the Amazon, yes, they're going to be always be on top of you and selecting your customers. But the key part for every company, I don't care how big or small you are, hotels or non-hotels or products or widgets or whatever you sell, get that customer through the door however you get him and then own him from there on. Just use them as that your um, sales agent, which is where they are. And then they're going to charge you 10, 15, 20, 30% to bring a customer to you. But for God's sake, just make sure that you own them from their own. And then you can benefit from all the customer lifetime value in the future. And they don't, will never go back to Google. They will just call you directly, go to your website and say, Hey, I'm coming back. That's, and that's this the isn't part. anything new. It, no, is, it's not. This has been it's around not. for a long time. It's just in digital, there's different ways exactly. to do it. Exactly, it's not. It's the classic Big Mac strategy. Right. McDonald's bring you in with the $1 Big Mac. They don't make any money, but you buy the fries and the shake where they have a ton of margin. That's how it works. And then you keep coming back because they have the cheap Big Mac and you, right. your kids get the Happy Meals and the little toy. They it's know just, what they're it's doing. It's just now more than ever, it's important that companies realize that they cannot be using yesterday's marketing techniques for tomorrow's uh, profits, you know. And not just they, that, it's, they it's need to the be very agile vision. and be able to pivot rapidly to go with the market trends. It's the long-term vision because, you know, I always say that Facebook ads and any type of uh, short-term ad is like a drug. You know, it's going to give you that quick fix, that quick revenue so you can see instant results. And that's fine when you're starting. You know, when you're a smaller company and you say, right now we just need to get to a million in revenues and then we'll worry about it scale from there. I understand because that's the revenue you need to stay in business. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, go for it. Go for your quick fix. But when you're trying to build 
10, 20, 30 plus million dollar companies. You need to have a long term vision. The quick fix Absolutely. is not yeah. going to do it. Yeah. You know, it just is patience not. is key. It's nothing, nothing is going to happen overnight. So, uh, last topic for today, I promise. Um, Apple. Oh, uh, yeah. Ooh, forgot about this. <laughs> we go from Facebook to Google and now Apple. Well, we have the trifecta here. But um, so, Apple, speaking of campaigns and tracking, we, we know about ITP has been around for a while. They started with a version 1.0 or something, and now they're like 2.6 or something. Yeah. Uh, basically, ITP stands for Intelligent um, Tracking Prevention. Tracking Prevention, which is basically blocking cookies mm -hmm. from. Safari, which is their browser, when you are uh, basically browsing on Safari, they, they're trying to, or they're blocking actually cookies from previous places that you visited so they can, the advertisers don't know exactly what you're yeah. doing and then they don't place the ads right directly to you. Yeah. Basically, privatizing your browsing experience. So right now they set it up so that basically <clears throat> um, tracking is, if you're familiar with like, if you're running a Facebook ad, it's the retargeting of that. The third party cookies are deleted after one day of a view and seven day click basically. Mm -hmm. Whereas, uh, you know, with, with Facebook, normally you might have like a 28 day click, but they cut that short basically. Now, if, so that means that if someone uh, clicked on your ad seven days ago and went to your website on Safari mobile, obviously, you know, Safari mobile is a massive amount of the customer base. Anybody it's the number an two browser and it's mostly obviously because anybody who has an iPhone right. and especially because digital marketing is more and more mobile these days is a big deal. Um, and so basically if someone clicks on your ad and then doesn't buy immediately and then goes back 10 days later, you have no idea that it's the same person and you have no way of retargeting them. It's impacting majorly, mm -hmm. majorly. Um, and there's certain solutions to get around this, but um, it's something that not enough people are talking about that they really, really need I don't to think, be. I don't think a lot of people understand, actually. Yeah, I don't think the, they do. The implications of this, uh, as you were saying, David, um, most of the conversions, and by conversions mean the buying, the decision to buy something, and it doesn't matter what you're buying, come never come the first time. Only like yeah, it's a very small percentage. Ninety six, ninety seven percent of the people that actually click on an ad and go to check something that they were advertised will leave without buying. So only about one two percent of people actually go all the way and they buy something. So the the conversion of the purchase happens after like two three four times that you see the ad later or go back to the website or get an email or some other remarketing campaign and then you finally say, yes, now I'm going to buy this. So that happens because of the cookies and everything else. So those cookies, as you said, they are like either one day or seven days. You have a conversion window that you can control and that's what allows the marketers to s learn more about the potential customer and sell them. And that's where they, most of the return on your investment or your ad spend happens in, the, in that conversion window through the remarketing. But... With that eliminated, now you need to really scramble to get that customer back. Even though it's a customer that clicked on your ad or something, you you will have to basically find them somewhere else. Right, because it hurts anybody who runs Facebook ads knows that you have a a funnel, I guess you could say, and mm -hmm. you have certain ads that you show people. So the ad that you show on a prospecting campaign to people who have never heard of you is different than an ad you show to someone who maybe abandoned their cart. Right. right, but the problem is that if the person just doesn't go to your site for seven days, right? Then all of a sudden they'll start getting prospecting ads again, and that's not the ad that you want them to be seeing. Right, you know, so that's the problem. And 
there's ways around it, of course. Um, one way is to try to more heavily emphasize collecting emails because if you can collect their email, you can re-upload that to Facebook and then connect them. You have obviously having their email is very valuable, but maybe even more valuable now because once they get to your site, maybe you need to be able to do even more to get their email however mm -hmm. you can. Um, you see a lot of pop-ups these days with uh, when you go to websites trying to get you to just to sign up for special offers and this and that even more than before because of that reason. They just want to own you at some point instead of um, yeah. for the lack of tracking. Then there's also first-party cookies, but obviously, you know, these things get very difficult and technical um, and... It's hard when you're, especially when you're running like multi-channel advertising and you mm -hmm. have ads on Facebook and Google and Snapchat and Pinterest and XYZ, it's like, it gets really, really hard to track all those things without this ITP. So now right. when you throw this in, it just makes everything a convoluted mess. Yeah, and like you said, there's there's some patches to that that you can do that are too technical for the scope of the podcast, like uh, on the server level instead of the browser level and so forth. We, we're not going to get into that. If, if anybody's interested, they can contact us directly. But um, either way, is really making, um, just adding one more curveball to, to campaign tracking. Basically. And, and Facebook keeps coming with their own workarounds, but it's like a game of cat and mouse where Facebook comes, Apple comes with a new patch, Facebook comes with some type of workaround, mm -hmm. Apple patches that, or it's happened exactly. multiple times. Exactly. Apple obviously doesn't make money on advertising, Facebook does, Google does, so Apple is protecting. And Apple is trying revenue. to pose, put themselves as the privacy company. Right. You know, that's Which, their angle, basically. Right. And Facebook is obviously the opposite. Facebook is, we own all your data, that's our business. You know, right. we, we, there's no privacy on Facebook. Right. All right, guys, um, this is um, it for today. Any uh, other notes that you'd like to add before we wrap it up? No, I think we pretty much covered it pretty thoroughly. Own your audience and you'll be all right. The, yeah, the yeah that's the, that will be the, uh, just keep control. Control is key. So don't let somebody else control your audience because you lose control, you lose your audience. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. So uh, that's it for today. Um, next week, I will be um, out of town traveling. I'll be at a racing event in California. I, I would like to do something from there if I can. I'll bring my mics, my cameras, and everything, but I always say I'm going to do something, and then I get busy with the driving itself, and I, I just look more on Instagram and updates and stories and everything else under my uh, my account. Um, but other than that, if we're not next week, the week after, we'll definitely be uh, back online. Um, just a quick reminder, this is brought to you by MGR Agency. That's our parent company, the one that actually does all the work that we talk about here, all the online digital marketing, website design, production, search engine optimization, a number of other online marketing services. Um, they, we do this for basically free, with a free podcast, uh, free information. Uh, but if you have any questions, you'd like to schedule some kind of uh, free consultation, just go to our website and uh, fill out any of the forms that we have forms on different pages for different things. You can fill it out, we'll reply to you pretty much within 24 hours. And uh, you can schedule a free half-hour consultation with either me directly, David, or any other of our team members. And uh, we'll get you started. And then from there, we can discuss any any future projects. Yep. We're getting busy. So if you want to I know. Uh, contact us soon, okay? Because we right, might have right. to I mean, shut down new clients for a little bit because we're pretty yeah, busy. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably have to stop doing these free consultations because they, they absorb a lot of time. And then uh, most of them, luckily for us, they're turning to actual customers. So, But it's good. We love it. And um, uh, yeah, we want to keep doing it. So thank you very much. And um, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.